Good morning. My name is Charles. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team. I want to greet those of you who are here and those of you joining us by video in Traditions, the Gallery, Upper House, Fitchburg, those of you watching online, and those of you listening to our podcast. Uh, to the Chinese speakers in our congregation, to everyone, welcome to Blackhawk Church. We're very glad you are here. Now, this is the 11th sermon in our series called The Unexpected Kingdom. And in this series, we are reading this book in the, in, the, in the Bible called The Gospel of Mark. It's a story that tells about Jesus, the Son of God, coming among first century Jewish people to tell them that what they've been yearning for has finally come. That their God, the God they worship, the creator God of the universe, has finally decided to act to establish, to reestablish his kingdom on earth through a Jewish king who is called the Messiah, who will one day rule over the whole world. However, this kingdom that Jesus proclaims is different from what the Jewish people expected. And so for the past 10 weeks, we've been talking about how the kingdom differs from first century Jewish expectations and how it differs from 21st century American expectations. Pastor Ben last week talked about power in the kingdom of God, how there's King Herod who abuses power, and there's King Jesus who shares power. Jesus sends out his 12 most closest followers, they're called disciples or apostles, and he sends them out and they go out and preach the kingdom, they heal diseases, they drive out demons, they do everything that Jesus does. That's nature of power in the kingdom of God. And then the disciples come back. In verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So, you know, the disciples come back and they're like, oh my God, this is an amazing story. I met this guy, had this great conversation, this amazing healing. Oh, Jesus, you got to hear this one. And Jesus is like, wait, 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 wait. We got way too many people milling around here. We need some space. Let's find some place. Let's get quiet. Let's get some food. And let's get a chance and talk about everything you're learning. Let's do a retreat. Let's get out of here. And that's where Pastor Ben ended his talk last week. And we need to know this because the passage we're reading today is a direct continuation. Everything we're going to read happens within the next 24 hours. And a little preview. Jesus' plan for doing a retreat goes haywire. The retreat does not happen. Instead, we have two stories. And in both of them, Jesus does something absolutely miraculous. And then at the end of the second story, the Gospel of Mark takes an unexpectedly dark turn. If you have your Bible or your journal with you, turn to Mark chapter 6. We're starting with verse 32. Mark chapter 6, we're starting with verse 32. So, they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus' disciples get on the boat. They're going along the lake looking for a quiet spot. People see them leave, figured out where they're going, and they outrun the boat. Okay, So the boat gets there, and there's a crowd waiting for them. And now Jesus is faced with a decision. 
His disciples are tired. They need downtime. They need one-on-one time with Jesus. He could just take the boat and head across the other leg and see how, far they, how fast they can run. But he sees the crowd. These people have just run around the lake. They are hungry for the kingdom. They're thirsty for the kingdom. And so Jesus had compassion on them. The word for compassion there is that from, comes from the Greek word splunkna, referring to the gut, right, to the innards. So Jesus sees them, and he just feels it right there. Oh, man, they need me because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are people who are lost. They need leaders to lead them. Sheep without a shepherd are people who are vulnerable. They need people to, somebody to protect them. And so Jesus makes a decision. No rest, no retreat. Let's start teaching. Verse 35. And by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go on and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. So now it's getting late in the day. The disciples come to Jesus. They're like, hey, Jesus, we picked a bad spot. We picked the spot for a you know, private retreat for 13 people. Now we have a massive rally. We have thousands of people here. We didn't plan for this. This is, this is we got logistical problems. There are no porta potties here. There's also no food carts. People are getting hungry. Kids are crying. You got to send them out. You got to send them to the surrounding villages. This is all very reasonable. This all makes perfect sense. And Jesus then turns around and makes this up, up absolutely unreasonable demand. He says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, uh, we don't have the money. We don't have the resources. And Jesus says, well, what do you got? And they say, well, five loaves, two fish. And Jesus says, okay, I can work with that. Verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all these people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves of the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Okay. This is the famous story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's a miracle story. It's an amazing story. Jesus can do amazing things. So aside from that, what else do we take away from this story? Well, here's something right on the surface, that, something that we absolutely cannot miss. Okay, and that is this. God has made it such that for his kingdom to function, to prosper, he needs human partners. Remember two weeks ago when Pastor Chris talked about faith in the kingdom of God? And there was this crazy story about how there's there's people in this town who didn't believe in Jesus, right? And so Jesus actually had a hard time doing anything. He couldn't do his miracles. And that sounds crazy, right? But, But, and Pastor Chris said, faith powers the kingdom of God. That God constrains his own power so that in order for the kingdom to function, for the kingdom to prosper, you need people who have faith in Jesus. 
Same thing is happening here. You think Jesus can make bread out of thin air? Of course he can. He's the creator God of the universe. I mean, three weeks ago, we saw him calm the storm and calm the seas, right? Nature responds to his beck and call, and yet here he says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. Uh, But Jesus, we don't have enough. Well, what do you got? You don't think that's enough? I'll make it enough. I'll make it enough. But here's the thing. Your participation is required. Jesus can do amazing things if you give them what you got. If you don't jump in, it doesn't happen. So many of us think, oh, God doesn't need me. You cannot be more wrong. God has made it such that he needs you. You represent his kingdom right where you are, in your family, among your friends, in your school, in your workplace. No one can offer God what you offer. And Jesus is saying, what do you got? I can do amazing things with it if you would give it to me. And that's the critical lesson about the kingdom that Jesus teaches his disciples that day. Um, And we can do a whole sermon on that lesson alone. But there's something else going on in the story that I want to get to, something deeper. And and to do that, we actually need to read the next story. Verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Okay, here's the thing I don't want you to miss. Jesus is crafting an intentional teaching moment. Okay? He, he, he has the disciples get on a boat and start traveling across the lake while he's on land teaching his people, getting you know, dismissing them. And then he goes on the mountainside to pray. At night, he can actually see the disciples. He can see the boat on the lake. Well, why isn't the boat on the other side of the lake already? Well, because there's a wind blowing against them. And they're like rowing like crazy. The boat is stuck in the middle of the lake. Huh, wonder why, why that is, huh? And shortly before dawn, so Jesus waits all night watching them rowing on the boat. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. So this is an intentionally crafted teaching moment, right? And so the lesson must be, well, to teach them, Jesus can walk on water, right? Jesus is amazing. Jesus has amazing abilities. He is not a normal human being. He is extraordinary. And that would be the lesson of this story for us had it not been for the final sentence of the story. They were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves, their hearts were hardened. Whoa. Let's just stop here. Because this is one of the moments in Gospel of Mark where you're just like, what? 
right? Like, like, a, like, a, like a plot twist at the end of a movie, like The Usual Suspects or, or, or Sixth Sense or like Get Out, right? The, you know, it's just like, wait, what's going on? What's happening? And, and, and this is one of the moments that Mark just hit us with it. And there's no, there's no way we can see it coming, right? So what we need to do is we need to stop and figure this thing out. First thing, something's wrong with the disciples. Their hearts were hardened. Well, what does that mean? Well, in English, the word heart, symbol, heart symbolizes emotions, our feelings, and our head or our brain symbolizes rationality, right? Well, that's not the case in Hebrew culture. In Hebrew culture, the heart is the seat of the conscious self. It covers both emotions, feelings, and rationality and understanding. It's the whole thing. It's all right here. It's all in the heart. So for the heart to be hardened, it means a person is no longer able to grow, no longer able to change. We see new things, but it doesn't change anything here. Right? So a person gets locked into their biases, their presuppositions, their perceptions. Now this sounds rather ominous because the last time we ran into hardened hearts was in Mark chapter three when Jesus walked into a synagogue on Sabbath and he heals a man with withered hand in front of a whole bunch of Pharisees. Mark chapter five, chapter three, verse five. He looked around at them, Jesus, looking around at them, the Pharisees, in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. The Greek there is porosis, which is the same root as the verb parao in our verse today, translated as hardened. The NIV translators could have just easily translated as their hardened hearts, and we would have an easier time figuring out the connection. Okay, so deeply distressed at their hardened hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Pharisees have hardened hearts. They see things and process them through existing hardened categories. They see an amazing miracle from God, right? A, a, a withered hand that's restored, a life that is transformed, and all they can say is, but he did it on the Sabbath. He can't do that. That's wrong. That breaks the rules. Well, this man's got to go then. That's hardened heart, hardened categories. Now, Pharisees have hardened hearts. We know that, we expect that. But now in Mark chapter 6, Mark tells us the disciples have hardened hearts. Well, how did that happen? Right? I mean, 24 hours ago, they just came back from going around the different villages, preaching the gospel, healing people, casting out demons. Things were going great. 24 hours later, they have hearts hardened? What happened? Two things. Feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. Let's go back to that final sentence. Okay? Jesus walks on water. The disciples freak out. They are terrified because, Mark says, they had not understood about the loaves. In other words, had the disciples understood about the loaves, they would not have been so terrified. They would not have freaked out. They would not have been completely amazed. Are you following the logic of the sentence? Are you following that? Mark is saying there's a connection between feeding the 5,000 and walking on water. The stories are interconnected. And that 
that for the disciples, there's something for them to learn about the feeding of the 5,000. And had they learned it, they would have had a very different reaction when they saw Jesus walking on water. And it cannot simply be, oh, Jesus can do miracles. Well, they know that already, because that's not it. Mark is telling us that there's something about the feeding of the 5,000. It says something critical about Jesus and his kingdom. So here's the big question. For the disciples and for us, what are we supposed to figure out about the feeding of the 5,000? The answer? We're not entirely sure. I'm sorry, I, I just kind of feel kind of bad about this. I set this up so big, and, and it's kind of a bit of a letdown. Uh, we're not entirely sure. The, the, the scholars are not entirely sure because Mark actually never explains this. If you, if you go through the Gospel of Mark, you will find nowhere an explanation for the feeding of the 5,000. Okay. However, just because we're not 100% sure doesn't mean that we are clueless. The Bible scholars are, are, are pretty consistent in arguing that the feeding of the 5,000 is connected to one of the most important stories in the Old Testament, the story of the Exodus. 1,500 years before the time of Jesus, the people of God, the Israelites, were, were in Egypt. They are enslaved. And God sent a man named Moses to rescue them. And they escape out of Egypt, and they enter into this wilderness in the Sinai Peninsula. And they're in this wilderness for 40 years. Well, where do you get food in the wilderness? Well, God miraculously provides food for his people during those 40 years until a man named Joshua leads the people out of the wilderness into the promised land and establishes the first kingdom of God. And so scholars believe that the feeding of the 5,000 is Jesus reenacting that scene where God feeds his people in the wilderness for 40 years after they leave Egypt. Now, why do they think that? Well, while Mark doesn't tell us everything, he does give us some pretty big clues. Clue number one, where does Jesus feed the 5,000? Well, the NIV translator says that the place is a quiet place in verse 30, a solitary place in verse 32, a remote place in verse 35. In Greek, it's all one word, eremos. And what is eremos? Eremos means wilderness. It is the Greek word used to describe where the Israelites were when they were in the wilderness for those 40 years after the Exodus. It's eremos, it's wilderness. Mark uses it three times to make sure that we don't miss this. Clue number two, and this is audience participation. How many baskets of leftovers do they have? Good. How many tribes of Israel were in the wilderness? Good. Final clue, and this is the most obvious one. Mark described Jesus when he, when he, when he sees the crowd. He said he had compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. That phrase, sheep without a shepherd, comes out of the Old Testament multiple times, but there, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, there would be one instance that would be blaring like a siren, and that would be from Numbers chapter 27. Number 27, in Numbers chapter 27, they are still in the wilderness. This is the ancient Israelites in the wilderness. It's at the end of the 40 years. Moses is getting old. He is dying, and here's what happens. Verse 15, Moses said to Yahweh, when you see Lord in all caps, 
in your English Bible that refers to God's personal name, Yahweh. Moses said to Yahweh, may Yahweh, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so Yahweh's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. And so Yahweh said to Moses, take Joshua, Joshua's Greek name is Jesus, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership and lay your hand on him. So Joshua takes over the role from Moses. He leads the people out of the wilderness into the promised land and establishes the first kingdom of God. Joshua is the shepherd so that the people of God would not be sheep without a shepherd. And if you remember from the first sermon of this series, Joshua's Greek name is Jesus. Jesus' Greek name is Jesus. Joshua and Jesus have the same Greek name. Okay. Let me, let me pull all together. Let me pull all together. Let's say that the scholars are right. Here's what's going on. Okay. Jesus does what Jesus does. Jesus he reenacts key scenes from the history of Israel. He's been, he's been doing that throughout the Gospel of Mark already. And here in the feeding of the 5,000, he reenacts God feeding his people in the wilderness. Okay? Now, had one of his disciples actually figured this out, this would likely have been that person's thought process that day. Oh my gosh, there's so many people here. This is a complete mess. Oh my gosh, this is, this is going badly. Okay, they're, they're hungry. We're we gonna get food. We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Oh, and Jesus is making them sit down. Oh, this is gonna be, this is gonna be bad. This is a disaster. But wait a minute. They're eating. They're all eating. They're all getting fed. Oh wait, I know what's going on. This is Exodus chapter 16. This is, Je- this is Jesus feeding the, the, the people in the wilderness. I know what's happening. Oh, my gosh. Wait, 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 wait. What am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to learn? Okay, in the Exodus story, God gives people the food. Well, here, Jesus is feeding the people with our food. God, Jesus is partnering with us to do what God does. That makes Jesus, he is the creator God of the universe. He is the God that we Jewish people believe in. Oh, my gosh, I figured it out. Oh, wait, 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 there's more. He's the new Joshua. We're the new Israel. He's, we're in the wilderness right now. He's taking us, and we're going into the promised land, and we're going to establish the new kingdom of God. Yes, I got this thing. Yes. Wait a minute. You know, if Jesus is reenacting scenes from the Exodus, you know, there's other ones that I would do, right? I mean, there's, there are other ones that we learn about from, say, Sunday school or watching movies like Prince of Egypt. <laughs> you know, like... You know the most iconic scene from the book of Exodus? You know, when, when, Jesus, when Moses parts the Red Sea and the people of God cross the Red Sea on the dry ground? Where is Jesus going to do that, huh? When is that coming up? Oh, wait a minute. He's sending us on a boat without him. How is he going to catch up? Maybe he's going to split the lake water and walk on dry ground and catch up and get into the boat. Well, that would be pretty cool, right? Nah, that's not going to happen. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, my gosh, there he is. Oh, my God, he's coming, and he's not parting the water. He's walking on the water. Yeah, go, Jesus, go, yeah. (laughs) Had the disciples actually thought 
about the loaves? Had they actually talked about the loaves on the boat? And they had all night to do it, okay? They would have had a very different reaction when they saw Jesus crossing. They would not have been terrified. They would not have been scared out of the wits. They would be amazed, but they would have been delighted. They would have laughed. They would have celebrated. And that's what Jesus is looking for from his followers. I don't know if you noticed this, if you're reading the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus doesn't like to explain things. Notice that? He says a lot of things that confuse people. He does a lot of things that confuse people. Jesus is the master of showing but not telling. Why? Because what Jesus is looking for is for the disciples to figure it out. Because what Jesus is looking for is cultivating a culture among his followers who are alert to what God is doing. He is looking for dynamic engagement. He is looking for lives that are fully attentive to God. So Jesus says, everything I do, I'm showing you stuff. I'm teaching you. I want you to learn. So pay attention. Talk to each other. Learn. Think ahead. Anticipate. Learn from what I am showing you. All right, for us. Before I get to the next steps, I want to clarify um, something about hardening of hearts. All right, and just one thing here. Um, that is this. Anyone can have a hardened heart. Pharisees who are trying to kill Jesus have hardened hearts. Disciples who follow Jesus have hardened hearts. And that means... Okay, it's not about salvation. It's not about your status before God. Having a hardened heart doesn't mean you're no longer a Christ follower or that you're not part of the kingdom. Having a hardened heart simply means this. You have stopped growing. You have stopped changing. Your views about God and Jesus and what it means to follow him are locked in. You see new things that God is doing and nothing's happening here. That's what it means to have a hardened heart. And when we start talking about next steps, Jesus wants us to grow. He does not want us to have a hardened heart. So how do we grow? Well, here at Blackhawk, we talk about the three basic steps for Christ followers. Three things you should be doing if you want to grow. Number one, we need the discipline of praying and reading the Bible. That's just basic, right? Talk to God, read what he says. How do you follow Jesus without communicating with him? Number two, be part of a community. We grow best in, in relationship with other people. So we have life groups. We have men's community. We have women's community. We have student ministry. We have all kinds of ways to get involved with other people. Number three, we serve. Serving is when we become truly who we're meant to be, when we serve other people. So if you're looking for opportunities to get involved in community or to, to serve, uh, go to the, the, the uh, info desk at the, at the various sites or go to our website. Pray and read the Bible, community, serve. Now, if you're already doing those three things and you want to go a little deeper, um, I want to suggest something that comes straight out of the passage today, and that is this. Um, Jesus shows his disciples stuff to help them to grow, and the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing today. The Holy Spirit is showing you things in your life to help you to grow, so you need to pay attention because life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And yes, I'm aware that I just quote a Ferris Bueller. 
But he makes a pretty good point, okay? Life can feel like just a stream of sights and sound, people and activities, and then we crash into bed exhausted, and we do it again the next day. Forget about, you know, paying attention to what God is doing. I have even asked the question, what God is doing in my life. So to do this, there's a couple things. One is, if you're, if you're the kind of personality that this works for you, okay, you, you, you do this by yourself, okay? Put something in your calendar. Five minutes a day, maybe 10 minutes a week, or like 20 minutes a month, something on your calendar where you get by yourself, you journal, you take a walk, and you simply ask the question, what is God doing in my life? What am I seeing in my life? And for some people, this works very well. Okay, put that on your calendar. But if you're anything like me, I am not the most disciplined person in the world. And I need other people to keep me on schedule, and more importantly, I need other people to see what I cannot see. I have a friend. Uh, we talk on the phone every week. It's a very simple phone call. He starts and tells me about his life, what's going on. A big stuff, little stuff, family, work, relationships. He's struggling with things he's excited about. I ask him questions. And after about 30, 40 minutes, we flip. I tell him about my life, and he asks me questions. And then we pray for each other. That's it. Most weeks, no earth-shattering insights, nothing going, whoa. But as we keep on doing this, you know, we begin to notice things. You know, sometimes he'll say things like, you know what? What's just happening now is like the same thing that happened like three years ago. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. You reminded me. That's one of the benefits of somebody, having somebody look at your life for you. And because we've been doing this for over 20 years, he sees the trends. He sees the major themes and he connects the dots in my life to help me think about what God may be doing, what God may be, what my God is trying to show me. Now, I'm not saying you have to do the same thing, right? It could be two people, it could be multiple people. It could be once a week, it could be once a month, it could be in person, it could be by the phone, okay? But here are the two things you absolutely must have. One, you need to trust that person or persons. And second, you need to be intentional. We're doing this right now for this reason. That's how the whole story started. Remember, Jesus was trying to be intentional. Let's do a retreat. Let's get out of here. Let's get together as a group and share about what we're learning, what we just, what we just went through. Let's figure this out. Jesus was being intentional. And when we're intentional about paying attention to what God is doing in our lives, we start to notice that the way we relate to God changes. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've been reading the Gospel of Mark, right? The disciples, when they start off, they are totally amazed by Jesus and his miracles. In chapter 4, when Jesus calms the storms, they, the, the disciples are like, OMG, who is this guy? Total freak out. And you notice, nobody said anything bad about that. Right? Nobody said, oh, you have hardened hearts. No, no, no. Go ahead and freak out. It's okay. Chapter 6, after you go out and preach the kingdom, after you go and spread the news and heal people and drive out demons, and you come back and have the same freak out? I don't think so. When my girls were growing up learning how to walk, I would stick my fingers out like this, and they would, they would grab on with their little hands, and I would walk with them, right? And, and, and every now and then, I would pull my fingers away, and they would take a step, and they'd go onto the ground, and I would pick them back up, and we keep going. They're now 19 and 16. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> Our relationship has changed. 
The same with our relationship with God. When we start off following Jesus, we're like toddlers. We're hanging on to God's fingers like this going, okay. And we get a, a lot of great experiences. I mean, just cool Holy Spirit moments. You know, when I, when I talk to people, I don't know how many times people have told me this. They tell me, you know, the first time I came back to church after you know, many decades away, what the sermon was saying, what the pastor was preaching was exactly what I wanted to hear. That's a cool Holy Spirit moment. He does that kind of stuff over and over and over again. It's awesome. But I don't know if you noticed. After you've been following Jesus for a while, those kind of moments, they come less frequently. Right? It gets harder to follow Jesus. It gets kind of tough. I mean, reading the Bible feels like a chore. Prayer feels like a drag. Right? Those are the moments when God is taking his fingers away and he's helping you to grow, to walk on your own because he doesn't want to relate to you like a toddler for the rest of your life. He wants you to mature. He wants you to grow. And to do that, he needs you to pay attention to what he is showing you. So for those of you who are following Christ, two questions. Number one, are you paying attention to what he's doing in your life. And number two, is your relationship with God changing? Are you growing? Let me pray for you. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we, as your followers, we want to grow. We do not want to have hardened hearts. We want to keep seeing what you're giving us and we want to keep changing how we see you, how, how we see Jesus and how we see the kingdom. We, we, we crave for these things. So, Father, pray that you give us the discipline to take time and space to pay attention, to think about our life, to think about what you're showing us. We want to grow, Father. We want to mature. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.